To me, magic is hope. It's joy. It's pure, pure passion. It's a feeling that we can create a better earth. It's the sparkle behind people's eyes. Magic is that secret ingredient to getting through those tougher days, and it's the thing that makes dreams actually seem possible. Welcome to an absolute passion project of mine, a collection of conversations telling the stories of people making magic real. Hello and welcome to episode three of Making Magic Real. I can't believe we're up to episode three already and thank you so much so far to everyone who's sent me messages after listening to the first two and really enjoyed it. That honestly means the world. (laughs) So today's chat I'll be sharing is with Sam Parker Davies. We recorded this chat a few weeks ago while I was up in Northern Rivers doing a working holiday with my friend Courtney who's in the first episode. And I was just so excited to get the chance to sit down and have a long chat with Sam just about his journey and how he's come to have his whole life consumed with permaculture. And it's just so exciting to see someone so young making such an impact and having such a massive vision for the world. Sam is an incredible permaculture designer, teacher and student because as he mentions there's always so much to learn and permaculture is literally limitless in the areas you can dive into and explore. I love the groundedness of Sam's presence and the way he gets his message across through stories and his like travel tales and the way he has really found himself through aligning his values with the earth and the people he connects with. If he mentions PDC during the chat that it just means permaculture design certificate and I will put on a small trigger warning for this conversation as there is mention of suicide we don't go into any details but it's just mentioned as a really pivotal point in Sam's journey and there's another reference when he is talking about the farmers and what they have been through I think it's really important to that to acknowledge these bad things and the disaster in the world but I love the way Sam looks at them of acknowledging they're there and really embracing what's happening whilst still being able to maintain a mind frame of hope and that we really can do better. So yeah, let's jump in. I'm really keen. (laughs) So welcome Sam to episode three of Making Magic Real. I'm so excited to be sitting here with you today. Mm. Yeah, me too. I met Sam through doing his permaculture design certificate in Mm. last November Mm. of 2020. And that was just like a really pivotal point for me because just like last year the world was just like falling apart and they feed you so much doom and gloom (laughs) and when you're kind of looking at like what they're feeding you in like mainstream media which I don't really watch anyway but just kind of the general story is that the earth is like just heading towards this really impending just like breaking point where it's just destroyed so doing that permaculture course and meeting you really did just like restore hope that like we can take action and you can regenerate the land when I feel like that's not a story you're like you're given much like you don't get given that hope yeah it's great to hear that hence why you're on making magic real (laughs) (laughs) so I'd love to dive in a little bit just like about yourself and maybe before we start maybe just giving a definition on permaculture so if people aren't familiar or they hear the word being like chucked around and they're like what is this permaculture (laughs) thing (laughs) it's funny defining permaculture like it's it's definitely a task isn't it but it's something I've had a bit of practice at now yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think if I was to do it like as succinctly as possible if I was just to define it with as few words as I could I would say it's an ethical design science about how we design anything in the world anything in life to be of the greatest benefit to life so this could be a landscape how we can make it the most living landscape we can possible how we can regenerate a landscape to be an abundant paradise or it can be our social systems our economic systems it can be anything it's an ethical design science how do we make the world as life rich and as abundant as possible so it's kind of like a cultural revolution a way of pivoting your perception and your reality, a way of realigning your thoughts, understand that, oh, I am a beneficial organism. I can be of greatest benefit to planet Earth possible. I can do good things. Mm. Um, And this is, like you said, it's not a narrative we get taught very often. It's not something we get shown. Um, And then there's this whole science of how to do it that's been synthesised in permaculture. And it's all, it's not a far out there idea, it's scientifically demonstrated, it's real, it's shown and verified by good science, it's um, exciting. Mm. That's, yeah, very beautifully put. And I feel like 
yeah, there's so much science to it. Mm. But there's almost a part of it that when you hear it, like when you hear the teachings, like mm. I'm still obviously very relatively new to all of this, mm. but it almost feels a bit intuitive. Like you're like, yeah. oh, that makes sense. You're like, wow, that put like that. You're like, why was it? Why did I think of doing things any other way? Yeah, good science does though. Hey, yeah, like anything. This is, I think, one of the big cultural revolutions of permaculture is like the patterns thing yeah it's going it's all interconnected like you're looking at science the arts like the geniuses back in the day Mm. they were people that were interdisciplinary understood how the natural world worked Mm. and were able to synthesize that in their art in their writing in their mathematics because each thing backs up the the other thing and that's that's kind of what the pdc is about you get this huge um scope of so much information you need to understand a bit of math you need to understand a bit of art you understand a bit of science, you understand a bit of philosophy, mm. and you synthesize that into planetary restoration. And I, I found myself, I went through high school, uh, I was okay at math, I was okay at science, but not interested. Yeah. <laughs> and now I find myself like, this is my full-time job. It's like math, science, and all the other stuff as well. <laughs> You're <laughs> like, like, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I, <laughs> and it's because for me, it's like, it's ethically driven. Mm. Like all of a sudden I have an ethical application of these things I wasn't that interested in. But now it means I could save lives. I mm. could change the planet just because I know a few a few like sums. Just because I know a little bit about physics. It's like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> it's, so it's like mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like actually a purpose to it, not yes. just being like, here's this division with no purpose whatsoever. Yeah. And you're like, bye. <laughs> <Good> <laughs> <guys>. <laughs> yeah, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, coming to, it's your full-time job now. You're fully mm. immersed. Mm. I can see like you're going to do so many incredible things. Mm. And... So what have you done so far? Like, how did you get to this point? How did it come to just consuming your whole life? Yeah, I, I guess I've always been a bit ethically driven. I've always been a bit ethically motivated. My grandmother permaculture before I was born, but it was something that, f- from from a little kid's lens, it was just old lady gardening. It was just <laughs> <laughs> my nana going vegetables. It's like, cool, nana. <laughs> there she is again in the garden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I look back on that time and... For me, it's like the the foundations for who I've become, the building blocks, was in in that. And I'm, you probably I'm, absorb so much too, like children. You just like yeah. absorb, 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 and not realizing until you look back, and you're like, wow, she learned so many cool Absolutely. garden things. Thanks, and Nan. Like some of my best childhood memories is like climbing my nana's mulberry tree and like eating tons of mulberries, pears, like eating the vegetables and like just loving. Her coming out the garden and yelling at you for eating everything. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd away. all my food go? <laughs> Not again. <laughs> yeah, I, de- I definitely think that like as insofar as like um, the things that light me up about my childhood, it's it's those elements that connected me to my natural world. I keep mushroom foraging and stuff like that mm. as well. Just those little things that those were the exciting things when I was mm. little. And well, I got to 12 and I've been kind of fed this narrative, living quite a mainstream sort of suburban life in the Blue Mountains. And I got very depressed. Like I, I was learning about how um, corrupt big business was. I was learning about how the trajectory we were on. Um, we just did this whole unit in school about how screwed up the world was and mm. how we're all going to die. Lovely isn't it exciting <laughs> great stuff yeah. they're like oh there's recess off you go kids <laughs> and that, that that is the narrative at the moment and it's, it's interesting that we can see that we're becoming aware of the problems um, which is great mm. culturally it needs to happen and it is the, the way bill used to teach founder of permaculture bill mollison the way bill used to teach his pdc was he'd give reasons to act as one of the first things that he talked about the first day is maybe like just so depressing <laughs> yeah i think we like, had a day of that on our yeah, course yeah you kind of need that yeah. though but yeah it is it's a long here's yeah. all the crappy stuff you're like oh <gasps> class you're like oh well great <laughs> i'll see myself off now <laughs> and that, that's how i felt when i was 12 I, I, I was actually suicidal like i was oh, wow. not keen to be alive i was really sad how do you peel yourself out of that well was it's it? a great question because mm. it's actually what set me on the trajectory was that it was a really mm. pivotal moment for me so i was feeling so low like like i'd hit bottom and i was 12 years old mm. and i so was young. researching 
Monsanto on oh, yeah. the internet. Yeah. Like I had access to the internet. <sighs> I was 12 years old and depressed. <laughs> it was not good. Not a good And then on that trail of Monsanto, yeah. yeah. That's just... Awful. Yeah, awful, sucked. awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the teacher showed me this video, because you could see where I was at. Mm. Showed me this video about this man, crazy man in Jordan... Granting the desert. And it blew my mind. He said this thing in it about how we could be a beneficial organism. How we could be the most beneficial organism on planet Earth. And it uh, clicked something in me. Mm. Made me realise, wow, we're capable of incredible things. We are not necessarily, we don't have to be agents of destruction. Mm. We don't have to be a parasitic organism. We can be of pure benefit to the Earth that we live on. Something clicked and shifted. And it wasn't in that time I couldn't practically apply what I'd been inspired by except through my philosophy yeah i decided to be happy i decided i was not going to help anyone being depressed and decided to start taking the steps needed to shift my mentality throughout the rest of my high schooling i did everything based in something ethical Uh, i researched ethical things i did my my art projects were (laughs) about like making like uh, plant-based dyes and stuff like that and then it's like it just wasn't enough for me it was like i was learning these things at school that just i didn't feel we're enriching enough yeah. yeah and i really wanted to be part of global change mm. i wanted to help change the world so we were doing fundraising events for things and still like exciting but there's surely there's like how can i yeah. <laughs> how can like I, I need more impact yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what can i do and um i ended up i left school and I, as soon as i finished school i went hitchhiking up the east coast um living without money it was an incredible mm. experience I, I wanted to learn how to live without the things that i felt were binding people into unethical lives i felt like the the wheel of trying to earn a wage was binding people into situations where they were making decisions they otherwise wouldn't yep. so i th- through that and decided I would try and learn how to live without money before I could learn to live with it because then I would make my decisions based on what I truly felt was necessary and good. To, an, to a degree, I, I got that. I, I came up to the Northern Rivers. I was living on communities. I got as far as um, Harvey Bay. Yeah. I met a man who was dying of cancer who wanted to sail me around Indonesia. 17 years old, no money, <laughs> offering to sail me around Indonesia. But my mum was like, my mum was pretty worried about it all. And she gave me Cause like That's so it's wild. my birthday coming up. You want to come home? Like okay, I'll come home. Man. I came home and just um, yeah, I threw myself into work I could find. There was this time I was trying to live with money. Um, I started working for an organic cafe. We're doing lots of farm visits. I was learning mm. lots about. And did you find like how did you find that transition to from like no money and then coming back home and having money again? Was it like weird? Well, was it changed? Growing up, I, it's not like I'd ever really like I had a weekend job, mm. but it's not like I ever really had to earn money for myself. I, st- I had the security of parents yeah. in a first world situation where I didn't have to go work to earn money for the family. And so it was like the, the privileged bubble that we live in mm. gave me the opportunity to be very naive to that kind of stuff. And then so coming back and uh, it was my first job. So it wasn't really like I was like, oh, such a transition. Yeah. <laughs> like I'd, I'd grown up not having any responsibility. And I left and had no responsibilities. And I came back and I had to try and land some responsibilities. It was not, yeah, it wasn't a big jump. <laughs> the the travelling without money thing was terrifying. Yeah. Because of, of the concepts and perceptions we have. But as soon as you get in the first, like, you first car, you know, start hitchhiking, yeah, and you start meeting friendly people, you're like, Oh, oh, this is pretty good. Mm, I think that's interesting too because that's another perception that we're fed. It's like the world is so dangerous and like people yeah. are out to get you. And like whilst I'm sure a minority that is mm. not people with bad intentions, yeah. majority of people like are so friendly and they just yeah. want to help you if you're travelling. Yeah. They will help you yeah. and it's a kindness of strangers. Absolutely. Like, yeah. And I, I think something I've learned that as well is not to be like, oh, I've, situations have come up that aren't comfortable. Mm. Things have happened where you're like, oh my God. I don't want to, I don't want this. Yeah. And it's learning, I think, not to be naive to that as well, but recognising that the more I can interact with this, with this world, the more powerful I become in it as well. Mm. So not to disempower yourself by being afraid, by going, yes, I want to lean into my fear and do something that makes me feel afraid so that I can grow Mm. and become more able in the world that I live in. And that, for me, that was a bit of what happened with with hitchhiking. Like, I I met this one guy, like, perceptions really started to shift in me. I grew up in a national park, oblivious, well, not oblivious, but 
unaware that the people creating harm to the world were my brothers and sisters, mm. were people that were people and I could love. I was hitchhiking back down. I got in a car with a guy who was, um, it was a miner, he worked on mines, but he drove a big machinery that cleared the forest mm. before the mines got put in. Oh. Yeah, it was a wild job. Yeah. And so I got in the car with him and he was, I'll tell you the full story. So I got dropped off at the the petrol station and I'm standing there like looking for someone, you know, yeah. and quite nervous approaching people. Like, just, like, As you would be. Awkward, like, <laughs> yeah. hi, please give me a lift. <laughs> and, and that's just what I did. Like, but, but I'd gotten quite used to it by now. Yeah. I've been doing it for a little while. And I went up to a guy, I said, hey, um, where are you going? He said, south. I said, oh, could I get a lift? He's like, no way. And then left. He's <laughs> like, oh, okay, you know. Like, you, get, you get used to rejection. Yeah. And so I'm standing there with a backpack, like, waiting around, and I really need a pee, so I go into the toilet, and he's there. Like, ah, oh, mate, how are you? He's Me there. again. <laughs> he was like, oh, don't push it, mate. Like, okay. And so I go into the toilet. I'm sitting on the toilet while he's at the urinal. urinal. Hear him peeing and can hear me pooing. He says, um, so where are you going? He said, oh, Blue Mountains. Bit of a pause. That's, I grew up there. Oh, I did, yeah. Friend. <laughs> and so, so we started chatting a little bit more about what, yeah, what I was doing and where I was going. And I got out of the toilet and said, okay, I'll give you a lift. Like, are you sure? He's like, don't push it, mate. That's so funny. Yeah. So I got in the car with him and he said, mate, he was, to begin with, he was really worried about me. He was like, you don't have any knives in that bag, do you? I said, oh, only under my axe. And he laughed and said, just don't put it on top of my gun. Yeah. <laughs> so we were like, mate, I'm going to kill you, Jake, for yeah. a while. Yeah. And Friendly band to things. Yeah. And I just learned um, being with him just how much, yeah, how, how wonderful he was as a person, mm. how friendly he was. Um, he learned that I wasn't going to kill him. Yeah. That was pretty good. <laughs> Restore a bit of trust. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just kind of, for me, it was the beginning of breaking down of cultural barriers that I had built in my head. Mm. It was like you had these stories where, wherever you grow up about the world outside of you and the people outside of where you live, that they are a certain way. And the more you interact with people that aren't, of your cultural persuasion, which isn't something we do a lot. When we travel, people from the Western world, often they don't interact with people from a different culture. Mm. Whether that's in their own world, we've got this side and this side, left wing, right wing. We don't agree with their views, we don't listen to them, and same vice versa, and all that sort of stuff. We, we've built our, uh, lots of our cultural opinions on division. Mm. It's not helpful. No. And I think this is what's exciting again about permaculture, we're looking at something that's extremely practical and extremely idealistic. We're looking at things of how do we actually practically change the world? And to do this, we cannot be divisional mm. in our ideas and in our constructs. We need to use everything. We need to use capitalist ideals. We need to use communist ideals. We need to use left wing, right wing, and realise that they don't exist but a bird needs two wings to fly. Yeah, I like um, that one. Mm. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so f for me, this was the beginning of that, was hitchhiking. Was mm. you've got no choice. You're in a car with someone, and if you go, no, what you're saying is horrible, um, the, you know, you, you get dropped off. Yeah. And, you <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like this thing of actually putting yourself in a situation where you've got to, you've got to open your mind and you've mm. got to learn about the humanity you share this world with. I think it's, it's so important to, I think we've lost that for a while, to really see and hear people mm. and sit with that like not attack them and not try and change their views but just yeah if they have different views that's completely fine yeah absolutely. but you need that like yeah that mutual like compassion understanding so we can really reach that yeah. bridging point so then we can fix things and yeah. regenerate the earth and absolutely. yeah <laughs> so like we can't do our button heads over like the most like trivial issues yeah, like so they're trivial. just distractions and often helpful mm. like a lot of a lot of our constructs can be just self-sabotaging mm. like one side will be able to go oh man those hippies they've got all these great ideals but they're doing nothing practically to achieve them and the other the other side is like you're doing everything practically to secure 
um, wealth and security for your family, but we're in a sinking ship. Like the, the yeah. earth is going down the toilet. <laughs> and, and either side, you know, you've got it's valid criticism mm. of either side, but it's not leveraging of each other's points. Mm. It's not going, wow, the vision they have for the world, incredible. How can we help leverage this? Yeah. Or how the skills that they've they've got that can do so much good for this planet. Let's mm. leverage this. And this is like for, for permaculture. You go, mm. well, I need an excavator operator. I need big machinery drivers so that I can create water harvesting earthwork. This is how I'm going to rehydrate the landscape and change the world. So all of a sudden, miners become very valuable to you. Yeah. It's not uh, an environmental protesty thing. It's yeah. like, oh, man, I need your skills. Yeah. Please come and help me. I think, yeah, we need everyone. We like, do. We 100% need everyone. <laughs> we do. And I think it's crazy that we've even, like, somehow this narrative has, like, been constructed that only separate, like, mm. categories of people can help save the earth. Yes. It's like, no, 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 we all, like, we need all of the skills. Yes. We need everything. Not just, like, <laughs> them or, like, them because yeah. they're doing the best-looking environmental things yeah. or they're the richest or, yeah. you know, it's their, they did it, they're, they have so much money so they yeah. can fix it. Like, it's, yeah. Yeah, people become exclusive. That's it. not true. It's a mm. problem. It's an illusion. Mm. Yeah, there's an idea, for a lot of people, we become very rigid in belief around there's only one way to do this. And only these people can do it mm. and all that sort of thing. Like you watch it with certain movements like agroforestry movements, gardening movements, like then um, you get a bit of a bit of flack for <laughs> using heavy machinery or something from those sorts of movements. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, you regenerate that size of land without it and I'd love <laughs> I'd love to hear about it. I'll wait over here. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it is that sort of thing where it's like the criticism that gets thrown around and the things like that that happen. We're taking steps back, mm. but maybe this criticism needs to happen so that people can. I think the people it almost needs to come out. Like it needs yeah. to be a bit chaotic for a bit, and yeah. people. I feel like through that chaos and that like discussion and that uh, like mm. everything needs to break before it can be restructured. Yeah. Sometimes, like you can't just like. Here's a shiny plan to the next shiny plan. (laughs) Kind of definitely needs to fall apart. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. So I came back from hitchhiking and looking for a greater way to help, I ran for council. Yeah. I didn't get in. I did very well, though. How old were you when you ran for council? I started running when I was 17. (laughs) So not legally able to get in, but I was voting age before it became became election so and I had, I'd given myself three months and I had money I'd saved up from working at that cafe two thousand dollars <laughs> three months to get it out there and we got an eighth of the total vote so pretty good it's awesome for like really short term yeah, ter- yeah. Like and just like starting like I'm gonna do this at 17 18 yeah <laughs> was that because you're like this is a way I can make a big yeah, impact yeah I, I was just trying to find the greatest way I could do something for the benefit of where I lived give back to the place that had brought me up now i've realized i think i've done much more with my last four years than i could have if i had have gotten into council so i've realized i'm very lucky i did not get in yeah everything works for a reason so perfectly definitely yeah but also cool story now like like to be like to like it's a good thing when frankly like i went for council when i was 17 (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it, it it helped me i guess grow in tenacity i did that I really grew in who I was from running from council one of the women locally who teaches permaculture design courses um, yeah she offered me a free course but she could see what I was doing was mm. aligned like I ran on this this thing of, uh, like community-led decision making so having community meetings yeah and that sort of thing. But we held the meetings, and the meetings went really well. Cool. And it was a realisation as well, I didn't need to be in council to affect council, you know, because the meetings mm. were seen and heard by council, which was great. Mm. And then that's something that's inspired me going forward, is seeing Jeff, my teacher, has done something very similar. He's done community meetings that are having an effect in the Byron Shire. But, yeah, so I ran on that, got seen, uh, went and did a permaculture design course, blew my mind. It was like, all these things I want to do, Synthesized in one spot, in one course. What the what? You're like stop it. Blew <laughs> my mind. I got so excited. Um, and so I threw myself into eco building and gardening work and just gained skills as much as I could. Um, was looking for other opportunities as much as I could. Was not fixed to the idea that I had to earn me money. Mm. I didn't have financial responsibility. I had that option. And I found Jeff Lawton's farm, found Zaychina. So just like a quick one sentence on Jeff Lawton. Okay. he's quite big in he permaculture. Quite, yeah. so he was the man greening the desert in yep. Jordan. He's um, kind of, he's taken the baton from Bill about like 
putting in a permaculture research institute. That his farm has been the permaculture research institute of Australia for 18 years. It's inspired lots of people around the world, and it's where I went and did my internship. And I lived there for a year and a bit. Um, exposed me to many different cultures around the world. Blew my mind. Made me realise how diverse this planet is. I met the matriarch of Samoa. Cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Came into the PDC at such a <laughs> I met a guy that owns 600,000 acres in <laughs> Australia. Wow. Oh, I met the chefs of the um, King of Saudi Arabia, head <laughs> chef. <laughs> we met people from everywhere. And, and it also made you realise the sorts of people that are becoming interested in permaculture. Mm. Like Jeff does jobs. He, he just did a job half the size of Tasmania oh in Saudi goodness. Arabia. Just greening a desert half the size of Tasmania. You know, another day in the office. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems the ways to make the greatest impact quickly is get into the ears of either people with Indigenous land title who are able to actually really, they've got a bit more autonomous control around their land yep. or a bit around farmers that have big acreage. But even then, it's like the resources they have is what they've got to work with. And that's how we, how we can regenerate that that area. So meeting yeah, meeting farmers at, at Zaytuna, going to go work for a guy next year, 120,000 acres, middle of Queensland. He, wow. he watched during the last, the last droughts, th- three-year drought, he watched his best cows die. Mm. He watched dingoes, kangaroos just out his back door die. So sad. So sad. Yeah. And he became, yeah, just like many farmers killed themselves during that time. He became, oh. you know, he started looking at his pistol a bit more. Yeah. And went, yeah, I can't keep living like this. And he made a promise to himself that when the drought broke, that he would never let it happen again on his farm. So he's, it like a little... And so he he, like a few other farmers Like it is catching on more and more and more As there's good work being shown more and more The more and more it's demonstrated by other farmers The more and more people realise what's possible Mm. And so he's he's putting in a dam a week He's putting in a a water holding body every week He's he's putting kilometres of swales um, to harvest water Um, I'd love to see that Yeah and he's not documenting it, which is, again, the tragedy of many of our farmers mm. um, and many of the people doing this work, is you would be shocked how much is going on around the world mm. and how much is not being documented. I think that's where technology and, like, people doing social media, like, that mm. is where a really powerful crossover is going to happen. Absolutely. It's because these people doing these incredible things are mm. so dedicated and they're mm. out in the wild and they're getting mm. it done, mm. but... To make change on like a global scale, we need people sharing their stories for yes. them and doing them the most justice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we need we need films on this. Yeah. You know, we need TV series. People going around the place, going to a refugee camp who's doing mm. it, going to a big farm in the middle of Australia who's doing it, going to the Amazon, watching a group of people doing it. There's people everywhere. Mm. And this is what... So after I was at Zaytuna with Jeff, he's been doing permaculture for 40 years. He is internationally renowned and an incredible man. And from the people he magnetises to his farm, I was given the opportunity, I was given a ticket overseas. I had no money at the time. So again, it was like this time, I decided I was going to live without money again because I'd run out while I was at Tokyo. I was given a, a, a plane ticket to the UK. That was almost, nice. It was nice. <laughs> I almost got deported from the UK because I had no money. <laughs> But I showed them my permaculture book. We mm. went through my diary. I, they asked me more questions about permaculture than they did about me not having money <laughs> in the end. They became very enthusiastic because I told them I was going to this Greening the Desert site, you know, and I was going to um, help green the desert in Jordan and I was going to learn about this. And uh, the reason I was in the UK was I wanted to learn about cold climate permaculture. I was going to the mm. oldest food forest in the UK. <laughs> the, the people at the... the <laughs> airport were like what they would not <laughs> like, have been expecting that just kid? like having a casual day and then they're like what is all these <laughs> things and he has no money so they ended up helping me get into the uk i had no money and no working <sighs> visa so technically they should have deported me but i ended up making very good friends mm. in Heathrow airport and managed to get in from there i then someone had um, bought me a ticket to go to greece where they wanted me to teach my first PDC. It was nerve-wracking, like really scary. And I did not feel worthy, of course. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm very young. Imposter syndrome, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, I just did not feel like... Uh, but I did it. And from there, I watched the students that I taught do incredible things. I've seen the first swales 
in grace go in <laughs> from from the That's students so that cool. I taught. There, there, there were no spirals in grace that I'm aware of. Before that course. And now there are many. Well, you're like, tick to you yes, for teaching. Tick. <laughs> <laughs> and it made me realize that as I, I think I was, yeah, I was like 20. Um, wow. And it was like, as a 20 year old, I had, I had that effect, that impact on people much older than me. Mm. It's like, oh, wow, I can be very instrumental in change. Passion is a powerful tool. Very powerful. Mm. Yeah, it blew my mind. I guess it, it became bigger than my ego then. Mm. It was like as nervous as I still feel teaching, as much of an imposter as I still feel teaching, (laughs) I see the change that happens afterwards and go, this is bigger than me. Mm. Oh, I think it's it's a humbling thing. Like when you're working from such a place of alignment with what you're meant to be doing, like why Mm. your soul's here, I don't think the ego can step in too much Mm. when it's like when you're really aligned. Mm. So cool. Absolutely. Yeah, Greece for the first course. Yeah. (laughs) First two days I couldn't understand anything I said. (laughs) 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 So I developed like a little bit of a Greek accent. It comes in every now and again. I've I've been watching myself during this and every now and again. Oh, really? Just hear it sneak in? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I ended up spending three months in Greece. Learned a lot. And did a lot over there. It was like a lot of where my first designs happened. Like travelling through permaculture, you can go anywhere in the world and have a meaningful impact. Leave something behind Mm -hmm. that will be cherished and loved and um, change people's lives. So exciting. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that that three months probably would have felt like a lifetime in itself for you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that Jeff says as well, is it's like time slows down. Mm. The more and more meaningfully you live your life, the richer and richer your life becomes. Kind of expands. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and he says like, um, yeah, when you're when you're doing things you don't love, you look back on that time and it's kind of like black and white, like grainy, like memory. Mm. You might not remember a lot of it, like lots of weeks spent doing the same thing that you didn't like, and you you can't remember those things so much. But when you're doing things you love, it's like you have high definition memory you know Mm. you have like vivid movies that play across your mind when you think back to that time and i find it for myself more and more as well also speaking to farmers people that live on the land the amount they remember and are able to retain and know about where they live just remembering exactly what year that big frost happened Mm. because it affected them so much and the more meaningfully we live our life Mm. the greater our memory seems to become you become more inclined towards geniusness because you see the meaning the meaning in what you're learning. So retaining information becomes so easy, um, well, much easier than it was before. It can still be a struggle, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I've even noticed that, like, yeah. even over the last year, mm. just having more meaning to wanting to learn about earth things mm. or, like, herbs and what to grow. Mm. You can, like, it's almost like you can literally feel your brain expanding a bit and yes. it wants to keep it. Yeah. Like, I feel like... The, like all the stuff I learned at school, like I couldn't really remember that. Yeah. And over, and I always thought, oh, I have a short term memory, or like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm better at learning things and, you know, spitting mm. them out straight away. But it's like, no, I can actually retain mm. a lot of information. Mm. It just wasn't the right stuff. Absolutely. And I mm. look, I look back in um, in school, the things that I couldn't retain then, and the things that I learned in school that I can now retain very well now because I have purpose and meaning behind it. It's phenomenal Mm. like i I know mathematical equations very like some mathematical equations very well now because i have to use them when i'm calculating swales dams when i'm trying to put things up yeah i have to know that math thing i would not have been able to retain in school it's kind of like a polish on your mind yeah like it is like an extra muscle goes in like an extra little something happens to your head and i think if if this starts happening globally it will be an evolution yeah in humanity because you can't go back it's something you can't go back from no it's like when you see you see it you feel it it's like you're like okay i can't undo that now like whoopsie daisy in the best way possible yeah yeah for, for those who do go down the rabbit hole, it is like you're, you're infected for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> you have no choice now. Can't get infected. <laughs> this should be like a real warning on every PDC. Hey, you're like, Literally. <laughs> yeah, like, 
be careful, you will never be the same again. And so yeah, from, from Greece I ended up in, I went through Israel and Palestine, and that was crazy, that's a crazy place. That part of the journey was really me starting to realise how privileged I was. Seeing people who had suffered war like a year ago, seeing people who had suffered war a month ago, seeing people like at the refugee camp who had just watched their family die in a fire, watched bombs blow up their city, Jumped on a boat, ended up in a refugee camp, and I got there 10 days later. <laughs> That's <laughs> wild. It is wild. I think even that was a big wake-up call from the permaculture course, because yeah. I haven't... I've done, like, small travelling with family like to England and Ireland, mm. their home places, but I haven't been to third-world countries. Mm. But even just, like, you learn through other people, but just learning that through the course and hearing mm. yours and, like, Greta's stories mm. about people who've just been in war yeah. and just suffering like yeah. that it's a bit of a wake up call because like wow in, like in australia you know war seems like years ago mm. and it seems like a you know it's not in our direct like memory yeah. yeah but it, it, it's also interesting because we share australia with so many people mm. such diverse people and australia it's very far away from the rest of the world but built on war like my great-grandmother great-grandfather, grandfather, grandmother, they came from the Hungarian Revolution and World War II. Yeah. Came to Australia. And it goes to show how much flux and flow there is in that as well. Like it met, like talking to the guys in Syria, eight years ago, first world country, mm. Syria. Like first world country with some incredible culture, some incredible history. And how rubble. Yeah, it can change so quickly. So quickly. And that's when I was over there staying with those guys. <laughs> Uh, the spires were happening in Australia. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to go back and it's all going to be gone. And it's even like we realise the things we take for granted, they are. Everything's quite temporary. It's temporary and it could change, it will change, mm. which is exciting in some ways and scary in others. It's mm. a huge opportunity because the world we've created cannot last. No. It is not a permanent culture, what it's we've done. It's too fragile. It's too fragile. We are too reliant on things that cannot last. From a permaculture perspective, it's a huge opportunity and it's very exciting. From the part of me that is worried about human suffering, it's very scary, very mm. sad. Mm. I think there's going to be a lot of both in the coming mm. future. The more this thinking gets out, that the problem is the solution, that every problem, every event is an opportunity that we can grab, that we can take hold of, this is an important way to think coming mm. up in general, but particularly coming up. Yeah, I'd really love to, to talk about the Greening the Desert project. Mm. And that's incredible that that's the thing you found in like your lowest point yeah. and that fact that like you actually were able to do a one month internship yeah. with Jeff Lawton well, I taught on it. there. And you taught there yeah, as well. I went and taught on the yeah. one month internship and taught the PDC. Like that's which was crazy for me, yeah. Yeah, like just sending yourself back to your twelve year old self like, you got this, yeah. like you're literally gonna be like part of this project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hitchhiked through the West Bank. <laughs> I travelled through Israel and Palestine and got to to Jordan. And Jordan is in the Dead Sea Valley. This, the project in Jordan. And the project's a, called Greening the Desert? Greening the Desert, 400 metres below sea level. So cool. So cool. And it's in the, the, the place where Mesopotamia, where, well, it's, idea is like that geographic area yeah. was where modern civilization was born. Like the Middle East is where lots of our cultural norms have come from through the empires that came, rose and fell. Mesopotamia, Babylon, Judea, Israel, Assyria, uh, Persia as well. Persia was there. All those empires through time were there in the Middle East, which is why it's a desert. Mm. It's a human-made desert. Lots of people don't realise that. They think it's just Middle East is naturally a desertified place. You kind of just imagine that, like that yeah. imagery is just linked straight to that. Yeah. yeah. But that's where the Garden of Eden was. That's where the Bible was written, was yeah. in that place. And the Garden of Eden was the Middle East, the fertile crescent, the place that people like, wow, what an incredible place to live. Let's live here forever. That settled empires in this place is now barren bits of rock and it was not before (laughs) (laughs) you're like who did this (laughs) before it was rich lush fertile places full Mm. of full of vegetation and life and water and through our destructive stage as humanity we've turned it into desert the same way we're currently watching with australia the same way we're currently watching with all the places that have been settled recently by the same mentality it's happening all through europe all through the US, all through South America, all through Australia, all over the world. And there are some amazing examples, like the Greening the Desert Project, that show just how easy it is mm. to turn it into paradise. 
Graining the Desert Project is 10 years old and it's already a mature food forest. It's already producing lots of food. Mm. It's incredible what we can do in such a short space of time if we know how. It's kind of mind-blowing too because you kind of, if you don't have much knowledge or like you have the tools of permaculture, mm. you just think desert and you just think, oh, I could not grow stuff out there because it's too hot and there's not enough water. Like you yeah. almost discard it. Yeah. But it's incredible that you're like, no, 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 we it have this completely hopeless bit of land. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we can bring it back to life. Well, one of the... Sh- so Nadia, Jeff's wife, she's a Jordanian woman and her sister has a great demonstration of what's possible in, in her backyard. They bought a place that was limestone, pure limestone, rock. Like it's like if, if for, for us, if we imagine, yeah, just like a basalt rock or yeah. sandstone, that's kind of what she had. It was just a rock. And so she built a house on her rock. <laughs> and what they did for the garden... Was they got pickaxes, picked out an area for the garden, made compost, put the compost on the rock, and now it's a really good garden. Wow. Like, very productive, produces food for her whole family. She has fruit wow. trees, she's got figs, guavas, uh, papaya, banana, all this sort of stuff. That's wild. On a rock. <laughs> Pick your rock. Yeah. Um, yeah, in the Dead Sea Valley, which is... The saltiest body yeah. on planet Earth. It is the out of like anywhere on Earth. That that is the symbol of degradation. The Dead Sea. So um, she just composted the whole like just kept expanding it out or like pickaxed quite a bit. Pickaxed the area she wanted the garden to be. Yeah. Made loads of compost. Put it on the rock. Wow. Put plants in. <laughs> the same as like you think of like a planter box with wood. Yeah. Put compost in the planter box with wood and Off you plant it plants. It's the same. Yeah. Like, yeah just doing it on a rock <laughs> one example i will give that mm. i did not go to that i think is just so inspiring is the same thing happened in china where the chinese civilization was born was in the lowest plateau it's supposed to be the most fertile place in china back in the day we're talking about four thousand five thousand years ago it became the most degraded place in china mm. uh, nothing could grow there everything had been overgrazed and it turned the Yellow River yellow. It was not the Yellow River before. And it's known as China's sorrow, that river, because it's the symbol of degradation, of destruction. And in the 90s, they started a regeneration program, the Chinese government, and they've regenerated the Los Plateau. It's huge. It's the biggest regeneration project I think on I look at the, looked at that one on YouTube, and that, it is yeah. just incredible. It is. It's just mind-blowing what yeah. people can achieve. Yeah. Yeah. In 10 years. Mm. Like, it's the only desert in the world that shrunk. It shrinked quicker than it grew. It's phenomenal what they did. A guy named John D. Lu, if you're listening, John D. Lu, look him up. He documented it. He documented it for the English-speaking world. So many just epic people. Yeah, so many. <laughs> it's like once you just like a dig under that like yeah. layer of like, the world's going to die. Yeah. And it's just all these people doing <laughs> incredible things. things. Yeah. yeah. And it, um, I think within our generation it will become mainstream. I think so too. I think there's no way we can stop that from happening. And you can feel it too, like the people I talk to, and you can like you can feel the energy changing mm-hmm. and something big in a really beautiful, energetic way is yeah. coming through us. Absolutely. Like it's really... And even you see like the younger generation coming through now, like the children, like mm. there's just something so magic in their mm. eyes. Like they're here to like... Yeah. You can see it. They're here to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's really yeah, exciting. They have to be. You've yeah. Got no now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, welcome to the world. <laughs> so, what would be through either through the Green in the Desert project or mm. maybe even in Greece, mm. probably like the biggest lesson you've learned that you've brought back to Australia? My privilege was a big one. Mm. Learning about how privileged I am. I think one of the most pivotal moments for me was like traveling with no money staying with refugees, realising I could have worked a day in a mine and changed their life. Mm. I could have done one day of unethical work and had a huge impact on the people around me. Made me realise, oh, I really need to utilise my privilege. I really need to get over this no money thing and really start putting who I am and what I have access to to work. And then I stayed with billionaires in Bahrain, in a little island off the coast of Saudi Arabia, multi-billionaire oil magnate, so I stayed with them for a few months. As you do. As you do. <laughs> <laughs> and they, um, they had the same ideas that a lot of my 
family, friends to you, that they were one family, one one person. Mm. How can we change the world? That made me realise I have as much potential as you. Mm. We all have as much potential as each other to completely change this planet. And it is only ideas and thoughts that get in the way of us doing this. I will not allow myself to get in the way of being the greatest benefit I can be to planet Earth. I, I just will no longer allow this. And if there's something I need to develop, and there's something I need to change, I will work my best to do so. I've got a long way to go. I have a lot to develop in myself. <laughs> a lot to help. But um, I'm excited to be on the journey. That's really inspiring too because I think a lot of people think, oh, I don't have enough money or yeah. like, oh, I'm not worthy or I'm not knowledgeable enough yeah. or I'm too busy or I'm too this. But like, yeah, hearing you say you're just like not going to allow yourself yeah. to be anything more than incredibly beneficial to the yeah. earth is, yeah, so inspiring. Where doesn't matter where we've come from, it will inform what we can do and, and who we are today, but it does not determine where we go. Mm. The decisions we make now determine where we go. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we have huge potential mm. and we can do so many good things. Oh, I'd also like to talk about today your current project, what you're mm. currently doing. Mm. So you're planting 20,000 trees yeah. and you've been doing that on your land mm-hmm. where you are at the moment. So if you'd like to chat a bit about that and also how you've been like bringing people in to help I think it's a really nice way you had a tree planting yep. festival that was meant to run but you've broken into weekends yeah so it's yeah. like smaller events yeah regularly. yeah we're doing tree planting every month yeah and the idea for me like I it's I could do it all by myself yeah but I want to make sure that I have as much community involvement as possible mm. so that I can affect people yeah so I can show people how we do this and how it's done that they can be involved in the process I think tree planting is nice too like over the years like I've gone to like random land care events like tree planting and it's kind of a nice way like when you feel like oh I can't do anything to take like a little actionable thing where you can see physically you've planted a tree and it kind of inspires you to want to keep doing more absolutely so I think it's a really beautiful like bridging connection absolutely and Mm. even the, the simple action of like like I do this thing often where planting lots of jackfruit yeah and lots of jackfruit bunya nuts Red cedars and um, and white beyond. They're all like native rainforest trees or, or fruit trees. And the jackfruit starts producing fruit at three years old. It's the biggest fruit in the world. They can produce up to like half a ton of fruit on one tree. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and the fruits can be yeah, like tens of kilos, you know, like 30 kilos, 50 kilos. They can be very heavy fruits. Like they can be heavy as a small person. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you do with these jackfruits? Have you have you eaten one? I don't think I have. Ripe, they're like banana crusted pineapple. <gasps> like they are delicious. And then unripe, you can cut them up and they taste like meat. Wow. And you can cook with them and curries and stuff. Yeah. They live for a thousand years as a tree. They produce from three years old to a bit under a thousand years old. That's hundreds of years yeah. of epic fruit production. So it's going to feed people long after. The person who planted it is dead. So the I like future to do of food is jackfruit. <laughs> part of it. <laughs> it's definitely part of it. Yeah, so whenever people come, you know, I love to do a little spiel. Um, this is what we're planting. This is who it's going to benefit. We will not know who it's going to benefit. We will be long dead. Um, mm. And I'll keep giving shelter, keep giving food, keep pumping water through the water cycle, keep giving life to the planet that we live on. Long after we're dead. Mm. We're doing something much bigger than ourselves. I love doing that. I love yeah. seeing people's yeah, eyes and, and minds when they realise that they're doing something so huge just by putting something in the ground. It's such a yeah. simple action and you're doing something huge um, and you have no idea of the consequences. And this is like all actions. Mm. We do something in a moment, we might tell a little lie or and we can have no idea of the ramifications. Yeah. That go we get we don't know. Same with planting a tree. We plant the tree, best case scenario, <laughs> it lives for thousands of years, gives lots of fruit and shelter, and continues the water cycle and makes loads of babies. And Cute. those babies <laughs> spread all the way down the hills and just Cover the place in the forest. Jackfruit, baby. Best case scenario. Yeah. Worst case scenario, it dies. Fire rips through, yeah. eats it up. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> either way, wow, it's fine. Yeah. You've done something incredible. Mm. And I think to you, like, you're still hiring your own vibration while you're doing that as mm. well. Like, you're feeling grounded and you're mm. like, playing a little jackfruit, future babies. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> and learning about the world you live on. So what would be some tips or advice that, 
you would offer to people starting their permaculture journey or they'd really like to get into permaculture, mm. where do they start? Apart from coming to your next permaculture course. <laughs> <laughs> but where would you suggest they look or what they read? Yeah, mm. where would you go with that? I, I recommend throwing yourself in. Mm. I think it's important to cultivate faith. Mm. Just faith that if you give yourself to ethical work, you will be looked after. That if you um, strive to be the best you can, no matter how many times you get knocked back, that you will be looked after and you will be able to give. I think that's an important... For me, it's been very important because mm. it's not like there's... In the current situation, it's not like it's an easy job to just slide into. It's not like you can go down the road to the permaculture design <laughs> headquarters and be like, hey, guys, I want a full-time job. Um, $50,000 a year would be great. <laughs> and they're like, come right in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you can't do that. No. You need to be a bit of an entrepreneur, a bit of an innovator, a bit of a... Um, need to work you need to be willing to do things that are different because we're on the front we're on the, the front line we're on the leading edge insofar as how we can get involved and how we can do that there are so many different ways to do this this can be just gardening it can be it's and it depends where where you're doing and what mm. you're doing because every skill is helpful and is necessary so it could be starting to look at what permaculture really is maybe do a course Maybe start looking at the videos that are online with Jeff Lawton and many, many, many other people. You can find but type permaculture in mm. online. It's ridiculous how many resources. There's a lot of uh, permaculture there. short films Loads. and stuff. Loads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these ones like. <laughs> yeah. It's like ten wide. minutes, and you're like, yeah. "Wow." <laughs> My life is changed. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never look at the it is really so broad. Like even yeah. on the course, I was like, "Oh my goodness, there's so many sections. Like, how do we learn all yeah. these things?" But I feel like then it's just feeling in I guess more to your heart space and be like okay what where's my curiosity lie because that's where usually your most passion and like Mm. interest is gonna keep you going yeah yeah and that's that's what's exciting about the way this is done and that's what Bill used to say about university he was like this cannot be a university course because you think about think about it as well when when it's self-led education you're following your passion Mm. you're learning the things you want to learn as you want to learn them it's exciting I know it seems contradictory because there's not like a secure and easy way to become a permaculturist. Yeah. But if you want a secure job, if you want to be in work for the rest of your life, this is the one-stop shop. <laughs> this is, there is no way you will ever be unemployed, ever. Like, there's endless amount of problems. Keep you employed till you're 200. Yes. <laughs> I, I'm very grateful to be able to be part of a design firm. Uh, it's, it's called Permaculture Sustainable Consultancies. It's a global thing. And I'm very lucky to be able to be designed for them. So yeah. I work for a design firm, which is not many people can say that. Mm. But it's a new thing. But the more and more of us that go into this... That make this happen, it'll be commonplace. Yeah. Design firms like this. And my suggestion to people listening is um, have a go, experiment, mm. stuff up, don't be afraid of mistakes, just do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, before we go, where can people come and do your courses? Like, how do we find you? How do they mm. maybe contact you? Mm. Uh, I've got Instagram. Instagram? Instagram, yep. Parker Davies Sam. Yep. Yep. Or do a little taggy thing nice. in the bio. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then from there, they can probably message you and yeah. see upcoming courses. Yeah, easy done. Thank you so much for taking yeah, yeah. time out of your day to chat. Mm. Yeah, it's been incredible and inspiring again. Yeah, you too. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I never know what to say in the, the weird test bit. I can talk about my pet llama. Yeah, do that for a bit. His name's Donovan. <laughs> yeah. Great llama. <laughs> They like they defend chickens and stuff and foxes. Like they'll kick foxes if oh they no. come to eat chickens. <laughs> I think that's a good test.